believe in Jesus Christ as your own personal Lord and Savior? I do. Do you, Scott, believe in the scriptures of both the Old and the New Testaments to be the Word of God, totally trustworthy, fully inspired by the Holy Spirit, the supreme, final, and only infallible rule of faith and practice? I do. Do you, Scott, sincerely believe that the statement of faith of this church contains the truth, the truths taught in the Holy Scriptures? I do. Do you promise that if you find yourself out of accord with any of the statements of the statement of faith, you will, on your own initiative, make known to the other elders the charge that has taken place in your views since you assumed this vow? I do. Do you promise to submit to your fellow elders in the Lord? I do, with God's help. As far as you know, in your own heart, do you accept the office of elder from love of God and as a sincere desire to promote his glory in the gospel of his son, Jesus Christ? I do. Do you promise to be zealous and faithful in promoting the truths of the gospel and the purity and the peace of the church, whatever persecution or opposition that may arise to you because of that account? I do. Will you be faithful and diligent in exercising all of your duties as elder, whether private or public? And will you endeavor, by the grace of God, to adorn the profession of the, go- the, profession of the gospel in a manner of a life, to walk in exemplary piety before this congregation? I do. And lastly, are you now willing to take responsibility in the life of this congregation as an elder, to oversee the ministry and the resources of this church, to devote yourself to prayer, the ministry of the word, shepherding God's flock, relying upon the grace of God in such a way that Redstone Church and the entire church universal of Christ Jesus will be blessed. I do. Amen. So now the elders, we're going to pray for him. And uh, after that, we're going to ask some questions from the congregation. So please join us as we pray for Scott. Dear Heavenly Father, um, thank you. Thank you for the gift for Scott's life. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit will pour on him your grace, your gentle love, but also the fire that comes from him. Father, I pray that you will empower Scott to step into this position and to lead his, your church, Father. Father, I pray that you will give him the power that only can come from you to point us to you, Jesus Christ. So I pray as Scott steps into this role in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, the only head of the church, I declare that Scott Cottrell is now ordained to the office of elder. Amen.
So congregation, uh, this is a big step for our church. Um, the plurality of elders knowing that God has ordained and given us this church. And to give Scott now the re uh, responsibility that he has, it is a wonderful and a beautiful day for our church. The congregation also has a part in this ordination and the installation of him by accepting him. And so there are two questions that you have to answer in the affirmative. And so you can respond with, we do or we will. And so do you, the members of Redstone Church, after a whole month of evaluation, acknowledge and publicly receive this man, Scott Cottrell, as an elder, as a gift of, the, uh, to, of Christ to this church? And then do, will you love him and pray for his ministry? Will you work together to humbly and cheerfully and by the grace of God that you may accomplish the mission of the church, giving to him all due honor and support in his leadership to which the Lord has called him to the glory and the honor of God. And so, Scott Cottrell, Redstone Church, his elders and congregation, we now receive you as an elder, as Christ's own servant at Redstone Church. We are now ready to support you, love you, and work alongside you as you bear fruit. Thanks be to God. So let me pray for us. So Lord, your mysteries are great, and yet every once in a while you give us very tangible pictures of your faithfulness and your goodness to us, where we are able to receive and experience your grace. Today is one of those pictures and one of those tangible gifts where our church is better protected, will be better taught, and will be better ordered because of Scott and his gifts and his abilities. So, Lord, we thank you for Scott Cottrell. We thank you for a lifetime of faithfulness and love of both prayer and ministry. And we pray now that as we follow the elders now, whatever decisions that they will be, help us to love, support, pray, and submit. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Okay, Scott, you've got uh, your family here. Um, so anybody associated with Scott's family, go ahead and stand to your feet. Very good, very good. Not to put you on the spot, but you want to say anything? He says, sure. <laughs> but not because I'm going to be long-winded, okay. One of the things I recognize about being an elder, uh, one of the words for elder in the Bible is shepherd, but I am fully aware that in reality, I'm an under-shepherd. There is one shepherd, Jesus Christ, who is the shepherd of us all. And my prayer is that however long a ministry the Lord allows me here on earth and here at Redstone Church, that I will serve in that capacity as an under-shepherd, not be bossy, not be arrogant, not be proud, to be approachable, above all, to handle the Word of God rightly, and to pray for each and every one of you. That's what I'm committing to do.
Elder's heart. Elder's heart. So, um, yes, sir. Amen. Thank you. And so the congregation has come alongside, and um, you have a little gift from Redstone Church. So thanks, you know. And then also, a very, I want you to frame this and put it on your wall, right, in your office. No, the, an official certificate of ordination, Scott. We love you. We love you. We didn't think about this transition. <laughs> this, uh, let me pray one more time and then we will dismiss our kids. Lord, what a morning. What a morning. Help us in all of our ways acknowledge you. Thank you so much, uh, Lord, for a wonderful day. We are, our hearts are exploding with not just excitement, but just the realization and, and a heart of gratitude for what you have done for our church. And this is just a, a wonderful day. As we start celebration week of our 10-year anniversary, what a way to start. And so from our hearts, Lord, help us receive our gratitude this morning. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So we do a thing at Redstone Church where we dismiss our kids. And so uh, that's what we will do there. And so you have teachers over there. Uh, there they are. And so if you are from kindergarten all the way to fifth grade, go that way toward the bleachers. Uh, we did some demographic work this week, and we realized, we did some math, we crunched some numbers, and our median age is 17 and a half years old. And we're almost 50% uh, over 18 and under 18. So, yes, uh, we're so glad for them to be in our space, to be able to experience uh, elder ordination, and then also go to their classrooms. Okay, summer's over, and so people are back into space. Go ahead and stand up real quick. Say hello to someone. Make sure you run to Scott and give, uh, give him a big hug, and then we will stand for the authority of God's Scripture in, in a minute. Okay, guys, go ahead and make your way back to your seat. Uh, do me a favor. Uh, remain standing for the authority of God's Word. Uh, remain standing for the authority of God's Word. Grab your Bibles. If you got your Bibles, shake it at me. Here we go. This is uh, Luke chapter 14. 
Luke chapter 14, uh, 12 and following. Uh, you should see the scripture printed in your worship guide, um, but it's Luke chapter 14, 12 and following, and then also you will see in your worship guide a small little paragraph that we like to say after the authority of God's word. So after the reading of God's word, we'd like to proclaim back to him uh, that his word stands forever. So Luke 14, and he said also to the man who invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. When one of those who reclined at table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But he said to him, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field, and I must, not, I must go out and see it. Please have me be excused. And he said to another, I have bought five yoke of oxen. I go to examine them. Please have me be excused. And another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, blind and the lame. And the servant said, Sir, you have commanded, uh, uh, what you commanded has been done and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and the hedges. Compel people to come in that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of these men who were invited shall taste my banquet. And we all say back to him. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Amen. Go ahead and grab a seat. So as we step into uh, this passage, once again in this text, we find ourselves at another dinner party. Uh, one commentary says that Jesus in the Gospel of Luke was either going to a dinner or a party. He was either at a party or he was leaving a party. And so all throughout the Gospel of Luke, we have all of these details of these meals, of these feasts, of these banquets over and over and over again. And so that's why we have called this the realia of food and drink. Realia, you may not know this word, but it is simply an object that is used for an object lesson. It's an everyday something that we run across from or to, and then someone will use that object as an object lesson. Here we have a physician, his name is Luke, very detailed, very oriented, and he uses this realia, this object of food and drink over and over and over to get our attention, but also to inspire us to understand who Jesus is, but also what the kingdom will be about. So let me set the scene and go all the way back to verse 1 in chapter 14. 
Here's the scene. Jesus is at a banquet. He is at a dinner. And is, is, he is being hosted by a Pharisee, okay? Now, you may not know much about the Pharisees, so let me give you a little crash course. The Pharisees are the religious of all the religious in the first century Judaism. I mean, these guys were the cultural conservatives. They were the moral majority. They were the theologically trained. These guys had it going on, right? And so they find, Jesus finds himself at a home of a Pharisee, and Jesus is likely under a trap. He shows up potentially with false pretenses. You see, today is the Sabbath, and Jesus is walking into this feast on a Sabbath, and he encounters a man with a disease. The old uh, word is dropsy. So he encounters this man with a disease. If you know much about Jesus' ministry, he loves to teach, but he also loves to heal, to put his hands on people in order to rid them of an ailment. However, for the Pharisee, on the, on the Sabbath, you could do no work. And miracle working was a part of a work on the Sabbath. And so the trap was set, will he, will he heal or will he not? And so Jesus then finds himself challenging the status quo. He continues to look face-to-face with people who are under his objections, and he says, listen, this is not how it should be. Let me take a time out for a second and let you know that what you see in chapter 14 of Jesus confronting people who are supposed to love God and love their neighbors, he continues to confront them and some of you think that that is, is a part of his character that may be a flaw. But let me redirect you and say, actually, when Jesus confronts us, this is a part of his grace. This is a part of his love for us. For the nature of who we are is to change us, to mature us, right? To be able to grow up and to be sanctified. And so therefore, we need the challenge in our life, right? And so part of God's grace to us is to challenge us in order to see us grow. And so here we have Jesus at a dinner party, and he walks in the door, and there he is. He heals the man. And the Pharisees go crazy. How dare you break a Sabbath rule? You're surely not a man of God. No one would break God's rule. How dare you heal? Jesus wasn't done confronting only the Pharisees. In verse 7, he walks into this, it seems like it's a pretty big banquet hall and a pretty big meal. And he then confronts not just the Pharisees, but now he's on to all of the invited guests. You see, there's a little bit of a shuffle going on. All of the guests run into the banquet hall and they're trying to push in the shove. They're jockeying for position at the table. And Jesus, in some way, he stands up or maybe he just clears his throat. But in that moment, He rebukes or he challenges every guest in there. Why? Because they had rushed to claim their position of prominence at a table, wanting to get uh, to the head of the table. It's a little bit of an equivalent of a Black Friday sale where everybody kind of rushes in, right? The best stuff first. This is what is happening. Jesus squares his shoulders once again and he says, Those who will exalt themselves will be humbled. This is not the way of the kingdom. This shouldn't be like this. 
And again, he's talking to the banquet hall. What you've just done is rush to the front. This is not a popularity contest by any means whatsoever. And so in our text, you see this idea that Jesus is not just done um, confronting just the Pharisees and also um, just the guests, but he comes when you host a dinner. When you give a dinner, he looks at the host and he confronts him as well. Not just the religious leaders, not just the guests. I mean, no one is going to get away from some of this. Jesus had just told the people how they were to sit and where they were to sit and how they were should not uh, exalt one another. Now Jesus is going after his guest list. This is who you should invite and you, who you shouldn't invite. And so with the strongest terms possible, he looks to the guests or to the host and he says, your guest list is wrong. Is this about seating charts? Is this about guest lists? No. This is more than cotillion etiquette class. This is more than southern hospitality. This is about going after your prideful heart and mine. Because in the inkling of our heart, there is this moment of pride where we try to make ourselves look better than others. Do you, he says to the host. And so what has happened is, he said, look at your guest list. Look at the people that you have invited. I want you to look at these people and who are they? They are your friends and your family members. If you want to really flex on somebody, maybe it was a people of influence. But why? Why did you do that? Why did you only invite your friends and your family? What was your motivation there, Jesus would say? Is it because Jesus doesn't like their friends or you shouldn't have family? No. It's just that where the host stopped, he stopped his discipleship. He stopped his hospitality too quickly. He stopped his invitation list with the inner circle. And only his inner circle got an invitation. And Jesus simply says, this is, is wrong. And why is it wrong? The reason it's wrong is it's called reciprocity or quid pro quo. I'll scratch your back if you scratch mine. And so the only relationship is there is I will benefit or you will benefit if I benefit. And when I benefit, you benefit. Again, is there anything wrong with mutual assistance? Absolutely not. However, too much of our self-interest is involved. And when we stop short of this guest list, when we only stop by just your friends and just your family, we will never experience the full demonstration of the mercy of God. The kingdom of God is not insular. It is not just about this insider circle of your people and your people group that think like you and act like you. In reading some commentaries, somebody uh, mentioned uh, the character in Charlotte's Web, Templeton. This is what is going on here. Because at the end of every dialogue with Templeton, what happens? He says, what's in it for me? This is the rebuke here. What is in it for me? And so for your life to resemble Jesus... 
for the kingdom of God to be represented in your life. You need to go beyond doing good for only your people group, only your friends, and only your family. And instead, you need to open up that guest list. You need to open up that inner circle to people who look differently than you. You need to continue to fight against this insular nature and drawing close to people who only think like you. Because the quid pro quo approach is this idea that the only reason I'm in association with you is because you are going to benefit me in some way. And so Jesus doesn't stop. He gives us an anecdote. He tells us and he instructs us differently. And he says, this is how you should go. You just need to expand your guest list. You need to look at people around you. And you need to expand your guest list in life, but also your, your hospitality and your ministry and your discipleship and serve intentionally. Let me say that. Intentionally serve people who cannot give back to you in significant ways. And so when you start to recognize that all people are made in God's image, and God's likeness. You open up your guest list to those people who are full of dignity, and you assist them and care for them in very practical ways. And so the question for you this morning, for us this morning, is who's on your guest list in your life? How have you grown insular by your, by your mechanisms or how you host people in your home or where you gravitate? Is it time to expand beyond your comfort zone and to show Christ's love to those who may be overlooked in your life? And so he simply says, don't do this. Don't get stuck here. Don't only invite people who look and think just like you. And so what do I do, preacher? What should I do? Well, in a couple of weeks, we actually have this thing called Serve JC, and where other churches of people groups are coming together to serve people throughout our city, to use this event to go into just the, the uh, real ministry opportunities, to get outside of our bubble and get into our city and community. Why? Because it's been, historically, it's been Christians who have walked into dangerous ghettos. It's been the Christian community who've gone into rescue and to welcome street children off of the street. It's been Christians who stand at the border of Nepal, knowing that human traffickers are about to come across and to stop them. It's been the nature of Christianity to be in homes where there are abuse victims in order to rescue them. It has been the Christian faith who have been a part of rescue work inside of crisis, not for profit and not for recognition, simply because this is what Jesus has commanded to us, to not be insular, but to continue to express it. So don't only do that. And so by this point in the meal, Jesus has offended who? The Pharisees have got their fair share, right? The, the invitees, they have gotten uh, in through the crosshairs of Jesus. Even the host, is there anybody left, right? Is there anybody left? 
Oh, this is, this is, yeah, this is it. Is there anybody left? Well, there is a man in our passage, and he comes in, and he's somewhat passive, and he says he's a little bit of of the fixer of a group. We don't know anything about him. He has no clarification. He's just a man in verse 15, and he comes in to try to ease the tension. This man tries to turn to Jesus. He was like, let me bless you, Jesus. And so when the one of those who reclined at the table, he says, let me bless you. And Jesus even goes after the guy who's trying to bless the one. Why does he do that? Well, in the parable of the great banquet, and in the teaching of this idea of not isolating ourselves, Jesus gives us a picture of a great banquet. And he says, this is how you should be. And he may be quoting Isaiah 25 when he says, On this mountain the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast. This is Isaiah 25, 600 years before Jesus. For all peoples a feast of rich food. Not just the nation of Israel, not just the religious, but for all people a feast of rich food. A feast of well-aged wine of rich food, full of marrow, of aged wine, well-defined. Jesus is pulling these images from this kingdom language. And he will swallow up on this mountain and cover that is cost. All of these people, there will be a veil that is spread over all of the nations. Again, not insular, but all of the nations. And then he will swallow up what? Death forever. And the Lord will wipe away tears from their faces. And the reproach of his people he will take away from all of the earth. For the Lord has spoken. It will be said of that day, behold, this is our God. We have waited for him. He is mighty to save. This is the Lord. We have waited on him. Let us be glad and rejoice for his salvation. This is Jesus here in Luke 14, probably referring back to Isaiah 25. Why? Because he's wanting to remind everybody in the banquet, the reason I have come is not to just to be isolated, but to open up these walls and to invite the nations to us. This parable, of course, is not just about a dinner, and it's not just about a grandmaster hosting This is the kingdom of God. This is the new heavens. This is the new earth. The master is God himself. The table are those people that are welcoming in by invitation only. We were about to celebrate 10 years of ministry. So we're starting today. We'll finish on Sunday night. We're celebrating 10 years of ministry. The reason that we picked the Gospel of Luke was so that we could land here in Luke 14 to preach these messages to us as a people group. Our job for the last 10 years is to reflect on God's goodness. And we've made disciples who've made disciples who've made disciples. And these discipleship trees are everywhere. We've planted churches who are about to plant churches. It's been wonderfully good. We've ordained elders and deacons. And we've sent thousands and thousands of money onto the mission field. And it's been wonderful and good. 
But church planting is a little bit like survival. And so with that survival mentality, oftentimes you get a little protective and you get a little insular. So a part of our 10-year anniversary is not just to reflect, but also to look forward. And I believe the next decade of our ministry will be less insular and be less survival and be more Isaiah 25 and Luke 14 because there is a banquet. There is a feast. There is a kingdom of God and the, the, the maitre d' of the meal is Jesus Christ himself and he welcomes us to the table. And so a table of hospitality that welcomes all people from all places of all good things. And so in this parable, he says, and he's just painting broad strokes. He says, this is wonderful and good, and wonderful and good. But then it starts with a caution. You see, well, let me read it again. It starts this way, this parable. And he says... A man once gave a great banquet, and he invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say that those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. Verse 18, one of the strongest verses in Luke. But they all alike began to make excuses. You see, there is a kingdom. And there is a feast. And the table is full. And the master is ready. And the servants are ready. And the invitations have gone out. And yet there are some who begin to make excuses. They simply sh shrug their shoulders and are like, this isn't for me. The kingdom of God is a welcome mat and a full invitation but it's also a warning for you and me that it's also, it can be rejected. So what is going on in such a beautiful imagery? What is happening inside this parable of the great banquet? You see, there's been some invitations that have been sent out. And so they've gone out and they've invited all kinds of people. And what has happened is RSVPs have started to show up. And so if you've been to a big party or, or a wedding uh, uh, reception, you know that an RSVP is necessary in order to host this wonderful meal, right? Why is that? Because the person who is hosting this has to know exactly who is coming. The number of people are coming. Why? Because the tables need to be there, the right amount of chairs, the place setting, but more importantly, the food. You cannot run out of food. And so upon the first invitation, every, I mean, it's blanketed, and so many people were invited. And a lot of people said, I'll be there. I hear that you're a great cook. Man, I love that. Da, 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 da. And they're like, yes, 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 yes. Well, the time came for the banquet to be rolled out. The servant went back to all of those who had said yes. And one by one by one by one by one, all of those yeses became no's. They began to making excuses. Nah, I've got other things to do, they say. And so the master, 
of the banquet has been rejected. As wonderful as the kingdom of God is, again, he's saying it to very religious people, that kingdom can be rejected by your heart and mine. This is a parable of warning. He says, come, everything is ready. Have you come to the festival? Have you come by invitation only? This is what Jesus is saying, is the invitation went out. Why or was your yes, why did it turn into no? Everybody loves a good party. Everybody loves a good banquet. So why would you say no? My father was invi- involved in politics in the in the 70s and the 80s, so much so that he, was able, he and my, my mom was able to go to an inaugural ball at the White House. It was arguably the best night of their lives. They ate and they drank and they danced and they got dressed up and it was amazing. There was no sick kid that was going to get in their way of attending that party, right? Because this is a, literally a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. And that's what's happened. Somehow, God's people who love God recognize that he's real. But when the invitation to live your life in accordance with the gospel, an invitation to live a different kind of kingdom, kind of shrug their shoulders and say, I've got better things to do. The three excuses are very practical. I bought a field, I got some oxen. I married a girl. When everyday realities crowd out the idea that you have an invitation to the greatest feast ever and you turn it down. Religious people, the invitation is clear this morning. Are you turning down an invitation of God to come to him, to be a part of his kingdom, Today is the day of salvation. It is always, the invitation is always open. Next week, we'll go into these excuses and we'll understand who exactly is in this banquet hall. But for today, this morning, the invitation is real. Will you accept the invitation to the kingdom of God? Let me pray for us. Lord, we are so grateful that when you've come, you've come to be personal and come to be real, but you also have come to satisfy us, to welcome us not to meager portions, but you are exorbitant. You grow and you flourish. And so, Lord, what you welcome us to is to a mountain. What you welcome us to is a table of all peoples. What you welcome us to is to food that is rich and wine that is overflowing and a smile as as goofy and as big as it can fit on our face. This is the kingdom of God. Why would we turn it down? There are some in here, Lord, that are grappling with you and asking what you are all about. And we just pray this morning that the invitation would go out to hearts and souls who are far from you, that they would accept the invitation to come to the banquet table of the Lord.
And so maybe that's you this morning. Maybe you've never encountered a king that has invited you to a party this big. But let me tell you, the master of this banquet is God himself. And he will never renege his invitation. Is there someone in here, far from Jesus, who would want to accept that invitation this morning? Because what you are accepting is that he will swallow up on that mountain and he will cover us, all people, with a veil And that he will swallow up death forever and wipe away the tears from your faces. And he will push back all the evil of the world. And with his spoken word, he will say, he is mighty to save. So King Jesus, I pray that there are people in here this morning that need your mighty salvation this morning. That understand or have never understood your invitation, but understand that, they, that you are calling them this morning to yourself. So Lord Jesus, do what only you can do. Save us from the inside out. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. And so what is our well-aged wine? Is it only a wine of a festival and joy? Well, the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took a piece of bread and he said,